And Shabbat Shalom. Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And uh, greet me in the chat. Tell me if you've got good audio and good visuals today, please. Uh, Shabbat Shalom, Kevin Niebling. I see you. Shabbat Shalom, Mickey. Shabbat Shalom, uh, Julia. Hopefully you've got me loud and clear. I'm not getting any feedback. Oh, yes, Libby Tube. Shabbat Shalom, loud and clear. Well, let's get going. We are in Torah portion re-er today, and we will find that in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, and it extends through Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17. It's spelled in the Hebrew, Resh Aleph Hey, re-er. It means to behold a vision to behold a vision. And our ideas and our perceptions and our perspectives of things can really either give us clarity of vision or they can cloud our vision. That's why our war is not against flesh and blood, but principalities, because the war is usually the principalities, the strongholds, our thoughts and our ideas about something. And when we change our vision or we get a clear vision, then we can change our lives. In fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, behold, see a vision, the people perish, but he that guards the Torah, happy is he. And I think we can all say, those of us that have come into the Torah, it changed our vision, it changed our lives, Yes, it's been difficult, but aren't you glad for the change? In fact, in Jeremiah, in the first chapter, in the 10th verse, it is written, Rhea, behold, a vision, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set this day you over the nations and over kingdoms to root out to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build up, and to plant. Meaning, if you want to get out the junk, whether it's religious, familial, or generational, sometimes you've got to root it out, then you've got to pull it down, then you've got to destroy it and throw it down, get it out of your life before you can build up and plant. And that's so true in life. Sometimes you have to move geographically away from the place that you're living. Sometimes you have to move away from the circle of people that you commune with because they're bad actors and they keep bringing you back to the places where you don't want to go. Sometimes you have got to root down what you watch, what you read, what you study. And for many of us, that was the traditional Protestant doctrines that we were handed down by our fathers. And that has enabled us to behold a vision. And so this week's Torah portion, I think, is jam-packed with all of the goodies because really when we look at it, let's turn there together, and this is a no-notes Torah teaching today. So bear with me as I continuously look down into the Scriptures because I just really wanted to teach this from the heart. Behold, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26. Rhea, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. We've got one life. And everything that we do can either end up in blessings or cursings. Everything we think about, everything we watch, everything we say, it's either bringing life or it's bringing death. It's either bringing blessings, it's either bringing cursing. We're either creating or we're destroying. Think about that. You have the power to make the change in your life. And a lot of it is all here and here beholding a vision. You've got to be a visionary. 
You've got to be a visionary in your marriage. You've got to be a visionary with your children. You've got to be a visionary with education. You've got to be a visionary with interacting with people and interacting in this modern world. And oftentimes, because our vision is wrong, then our interactions with the world and with people can then malfunction. And we'll end up on the wrong mountain because there's two mountains to choose from. Let's look at the scripture. Yahweh says in that verse 26, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim. But turn aside from the way which I commanded you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And I say so many times, I mean, today, I feel like we're in a Star Wars movie. You remember when they went into there was that bar scene and they went into the, in the Star Wars movie and there were all of these aliens? I mean, that is what the world is like today. It's become normal. I mean, they were telling you something when they developed that movie in, what was it, the 70s? Now you just, you, now if you were to go into a coffee shop, it looks like the bar scene from Bloomin' Star Wars. And I have to process this and still have a good vision of the world. I've got to tell you, I struggle. I do struggle with it. I mean, I've just been on a little tour over the, um, the Northwest here, and you can't escape it. And I said to my children, we've been in Montana, we've been in Idaho, we've been in all kinds of places. And I said to my children, I said, you know what it's like? I imagine it's like the time when the chiefs of the First Nations, they got together with their, with, um, in, in their tribal councils and they said, you know what? They're coming. And you can't stop them. There came a point when the Native Americans realized that they could not stop the westward migration of the white man. And brethren, I've come to the conclusion that we are not going to be able to stop the characters in that bar scene of the Star Wars movies encroaching upon every area of this world. Why? Because it's all part of the Marxist and socialist program for the destruction of society. Just as it was with the Romans, just as it was with the Russians and the Bolshevik Revolution. This has been going on for decades and decades. And we have to keep a biblical vision and have clarity on how we're to live in the midst of a very, very fastly changing world and not become oppressed, not become depressed, not to become despondent with the fact and the reality is you are living in a blooming Star Wars movie. When you go to Home Depot, when you go to the grocery store, when you go for coffee, it's everywhere. All that to say this, keep the biblical vision because that is what is going to keep us sane in an insane world. I'm rambling, forgive me. Let's continue on, because right here in the 28th verse, it says, if you don't follow the commandments of Yahuwah, there will be a curse if you do not obey the commandments of Yahuwah your Elohim. But turn aside from the way which I commanded you today, to go after other gods which you have not known. Verse 29. Now it shall be when Yahweh your Elohim has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curses on Mount Ebal. Two mountains you choose. Choose this day whom you shall serve. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan towards the setting sun? In the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal, beside the terebinth trees of Moray. For you will cross over the Jordan and go to possess the land which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you, 
and you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and the judgments which I set before you today. And we had this conversation. I had this conversation, my wife and I did, with my son Moshe last week. Because he was questioning us on why he should do something. And I just, it just came right to me. And I said, son, do you know the difference between statutes and judgments? I said, Yahweh calls us to obey his statutes and judgments. Statutes are not self-evident, and judgments are self-evident. Yahweh calls us to obedience, whether it is self-evident to us or not. He is calling us to obedience. That's the difference between an obedient son and a disobedient son. An obedient son obeys the statutes that are not self-evident, and the judgments that are self-evident. But the disobedient son does not obey the statutes because they're not self-evident. Well, I don't see why I should do that. And only obeys what's self-evident. That is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of modern religion. You just obey what's self-evident to you. But when you raised your children and they were small, you just taught them to obey. They don't realize when they're a year old that that traffic is coming at 50 miles an hour down the road. That's not important. What's important is that they stop, look, and listen because you gave them that statue. So it's very important that we understand that as the children of Israel, we are to have an inclination to obedience. Because oftentimes, once you do obey, then you'll get the revelation as why. I never understood the blessings of obedience to the commandments of Yahweh until I started keeping them. Because you see the ramifications. You'll never understand the blessings of fasting until you fast. And you see the ramifications in your body, in your mind, and in your spirit. But if you fight it and question it before you obey it, then, when? Then you'll never come into the land of blessing. But this is only pertaining to the commandments of Yahweh. We are to question everything when it comes to the doctrines of men. And we're not to obey the doctrines of men. We are to obey the commandments of Yahweh. Chapter 12 goes into a prescribed place of worship. It goes on to say, These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which Yahweh, the Elohim of your father, is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. Yahweh wants us to possess this life that we have. He wants us to possess it. He wants us to possess our children, our grandchildren, the legacy that we leave. We have to possess it. We have to always be working to not only obtain it, but once obtain it, to secure it, that it doesn't slip and be destroyed within a generation. Because that's usually what happens. Within a generation, the wealth of one generation is squandered by the next generation. So we have to continually have a vision and then impart that vision to the next generation and teach that generation to impart it to the next generation because this is all about a generational legacy, isn't it? It's all about a generational legacy for the house of Israel. We can continue on. It goes on to say in verse 2, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every Christmas tree. Does it say that? Well, no, it doesn't, but it kind of does, because if you cross-reference that with Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5, you'll see where the Christmas tree came from. So all of these customs that we have in the nations They've been imported from Babylon. 
Yes, through the Grecians and through the Romans and then through the Council of Nicaea and the Church of England. And then they came over here and many, many times, blame the Irish, you know, blame the Irish for everything. It was the potato famine, them coming over here and deciding to bring all of that nonsense with them. But again, why did we fall into such disrepair? Because we weren't observing the statutes and judgments, having the vision of the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We just decided we'll only obey what makes sense to us, which is pretty much John 3:16 forward, right? No. And that's why we've got into generational problems. So we continue on here, and we can see in verse 5, but you shall seek the place where Yahweh your Elohim chooses out of all of your tribes to put his name and to put his dwelling place, and there you shall go, and there you shall make your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, your offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and there you shall your Elohim, and you shall rejoice in all put your hand, you and your households in which Yahweh your Elohim chooses to bless you. And of course, where is that place where he has chosen his name? Jerusalem. So we don't sacrifice and do animal sacrifices. Obviously, today we are under the Malkizedic priesthood, and the ultimate sacrifice is all explained to us through the Malkizedic priesthood in the book of Hebrews. But even if we were under a Levitical priesthood, which we're not, you still wouldn't do animal sacrifices out in the nations because it's only where Yahweh chooses to place his name, which is established through scripture as Jerusalem. Verse 8, the problem with religion and following the doctrines of men is what? You shall not all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And the common thing that I started to, the response that I started to get when I started to share the Torah and keeping the Sabbaths and keeping um, biblical kosher to my brethren in the church was, well, that's not the way I see it, Matthew. Well, that's just not the way I see it. Well, hang on a minute. How is that any different than you shall not all do today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes? It shouldn't be what how I see it or how you see it. It should be how it is written in his word, and we should align ourselves with the word of Yahweh. In, are we in agreement with that? And that gives us the biblical vision, and that gives us a generational blessing of legacy. So again, well, that's not the way I see it. That is not supposed to be the determining factor on how we keep the commandments. So chapter 12 gives us some very, very good insight on how to make and bring in proper worship to Yahweh. What I find interesting here in chapter 12, verse 15, in is um, kosher, and it goes on to say, however, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of Yahweh your Elohim, which you he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood you shall pour it on the earth like water. That is the definition of clean and proper. Get the blood out, pour it on the earth like water. That's your domesticated flock. Now, your wild flock, your wild game, is only different is that you pour the blood out on the ground like water, and then you cover it with earth, which is interesting that most hunters still do that today. Isn't that interesting? Now, here's something that has caused confusion over the years, and people have come to me, and it's just the structure of the language of this verse. And let me read it to you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 20. And it goes on to say, 
when Yahweh your Elohim enlarges your border as he has promised to you, and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where Yahweh your Elohim chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which Yahweh has given you, just as I have commanded you. And you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Verse 22. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them, the unclean and the clean alike may eat them. See? You can eat clean and unclean. Matthew, you don't know what you're talking about. What? That's not what it says. No, it is. Hang on a minute. What kind of vision do you have? No, that's not what this is talking about. But many brethren do start, uh, stumble on this passage. What on earth is going on with this passage in verse 22? I'll read it again. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them the unclean and the clean alike. What is this talking about? This is talking about the ritually clean and unclean person may eat of your properly slaughtered meat. Because you're not going up to the temple, you're not sacrificing at this point this is all about kosher. And if somebody is ritually unclean, they can still eat at your table. Does that make sense? Whereas people have thought before that now this was getting rid of the dietary requirements. Again, we have to be careful that we do not stumble and stumble. This is talking about ritually impure and pure people may eat of meat within your gates. And again, it gives you the difference between a kosher slaughter of the domesticated flock and a kosher slaughter of wild game. Goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add or take away from it. Now, in chapter 13 right now, we start to get into the punishment for apostates and a description right there of how we are to guard ourselves. Because again, like I started off in Proverbs 29 verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that guards the Torah, happy is he. Because without the Torah, we're loose to our own imagination, our own vision, and our own doctrines of the Bible. And you end up with your own religious imaginations and your own interpretations. And then you can go somewhere and maybe surround yourself with other people that agree with you. But really, we should just be trying to align ourselves with the scripture and then find other people that are aligning with the scripture also. So really, what this Torah portion is about is choices. It's a litmus test for choices. How do we make good choices in life? And right here in Deuteronomy 13, we have the litmus test for the prophet. Um, we've, we've discussed kosher, and we're going to see a test of really who should you be listening to when they teach you the scripture. Because really, in this Torah portion, it's all about choices, about Elohim, choices about people, choices about eating, choices about money, and choices about worship. Think about life. What more really is there? You're making choices about the God you serve, about the people you associate with, what you put into your body, money, and worship. And if you can get the proper vision on those five things, are you going to be blessed? You're going to be truly, truly blessed. And if one of those five malfunctions, can it affect the other four? 
Yes, it certainly can. So we need to be right with Elohim. We need to be around the right people. We need to be eating what is fit and proper and fasting. And we need to be watching what we do with money. My principle is give, save, live. And if you do it in that order, you're going to feel so much healthier, firstly, because it releases all that tension. And you don't have to worry because you know that you are giving, saving, and living. Does that make sense? And if you malfunction on that, then you'll malfunction on a whole bunch of other things. And then, of course, worship. If there arises among you a prophet, Deuteronomy 13, and a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other Elohim, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh, your Elohim, is going to test you, and he's going to test you in seven very specific ways. And I think that we're tested in these seven specific areas almost every day. If you really, really take an inventory of your day through prayer and through inward reflection, which my wife says I do too much of, because I'm very kind of insular and I'm kind of always like wigging out on stuff. She's like, you need to talk more. And you guys are like, I talk too much. But, you know, this is my opportunity to do that. But usually I'm quite quiet and I think and process a lot. Seven areas of testing to know whether you love Yahuwah, your Elohim, with all of your heart and with all of your being whether you shall have your walk, number two, after Yahweh your Elohim. How do we walk after him? Do we, number three, fear him? And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahweh. Yes, we're seeking to be wise. Oh, you're so smart. You're so wise. But the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahweh, number three. Number four, guard his commandments. Number five, obey his voice, and that includes the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit when you're out and about and you feel like you're going to be triggered and you're going to do something, but then you have the Holy Spirit say, no, Matthew, calm the Henry down. Don't say that. Stay chill. Stay chill. Obey his voice. Number six, serve him. And number seven, cleave to him. Number seven is what I feel my relationship with Yahuwah is like, is that I cleave to him. Why? Because it's like a life raft. Because otherwise I'm left to myself. And that is not a, you wouldn't want to be left to me. I mean, I was left to me for 25 years. You would not want to be left. And so I do cleave to Yahweh because the thought of being left to me and cleaving to my own self would be futility. And that prophet of that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death if he entices you away from Yahweh and if he entices you away from these seven things. Because he has spoken to turn you away from Yahweh your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt and he has redeemed you out of the house of slavery in order to draw you away from the walk that Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you to have so shall you put the evil away from the midst of you. Now, if your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or your wife of your bosom, or your friend, which is your own being, entices you secretly, saying, oh, let's go and serve some other gods whom you have not known, or your fathers didn't know, namely, the Elohim of the people who are all around you in this Star Wars movie that you now live, they're nearer you, and they're far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. You shall not agree with them. You shall not be corrupted by the culture, and you shall not be polluted by the culture of which you now live in this Star Wars fantasy. 
even though it's all-consuming, please keep a biblical vision. Do not listen to him, neither shall your eye pity him, neither shall you spare, neither shall you conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. Obviously, we're not going to go around killing people, but what we do do is we pull down, root out, and destroy those relationships, those television shows, those infiltrations and inroads into our life. We kill sin. We slay it fully. We don't take out our penknife and nick it because then it'll get up off the altar and walk back into our life. If you're struggling in sin, you've got to kill it. You've got to die to it. And it's got to be a full-out slaughter. You see, there's a warning. The warning right here is that anyone that is doing signs and wonders, if they attempt to entice us away from the commandments of Yahuwah found in the Torah, then they should be rooted out of your life. They should be put out of your life. If they say, oh, you don't need to keep the command. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, come on back to church. We've got a Christmas program. Jeremiah 10.5. And the book of John says, and James, to him who knows it's sin, it is sin. How can you go back to now what you know? Because the Shema is all about if we hear the call to the return of the commandments and we reject the call, then we would fail the litmus test of this Torah portion. Now, today, I walk downtown, and there's many people out there with their little sandwich boards. There was a fella downtown this week doing hellfire and brimstone with a, a little speaker, and he must have been all of 21, you know. There was no mercy, no compassion. It was, you know, just like, you are going to burn, you are going to burn, and you are going to burn. But then when you actually have a conversation about these things with these people, they're Jesus doesn't line up with this week's Torah portion. What do I mean? Let's do the litmus test on Jesus. Let's do the litmus test on Yahusha. Because that's what this Torah portion is about. And this would be a great Torah portion to sit down and share with family and friends in the Christian faith without being argumentative, but just by asking questions. Because the Bible clearly teaches that Yahushua did signs and wonders. Are we in agreement with that? Right? But he couldn't have enticed us away from keeping the commandments of Yahweh. Because according to this Torah portion, if he did signs and wonders, which we know he did, but he enticed us away from keeping the commandments of Yahweh, then he should be killed as a false prophet. How is it that the modern Christian church is presenting the evidence that Yahushua should be killed or Jesus should be killed as a false prophet. Because that's the evidence that they're presenting. Do you see what I mean? It makes no sense in light of the whole scripture. Yahushua couldn't have enticed us away from keeping the commandments. He couldn't have changed the commandments of Yahuwah that were given at the mountain. The irony of the whole thing is many Jews, you know, you go to Israel and you'll find many Jews, they have all the evidence in the Torah to prove that Yahushua is the Messiah. And they don't believe. And then you've got Roman Christianity unwittingly presents all the evidence to disprove Yahushua is the Messiah. And they do believe. I mean, it, it makes no sense. Because oftentimes, people's beliefs are based upon programming and tradition. The Jews are studying the Torah. In the Torah is all the evidence that Yahushua is the Messiah, and they don't believe. Yet, Roman Christianity is presenting all the evidence that Yahushua isn't the Messiah, they're saying, well, look, he did away with the law. He did away with Sabbath. He did away with the dietary requirements, which is presenting evidence that he is a false prophet, according to Deuteronomy. But they do believe. You see how crazy 
vision can become when there is something that is malfunctioning with your vision and rear. So let's think about this. You know, many people say, well, we're under grace. We're under grace. Well, hang on a minute. Noah found grace in the sight of Yahweh, did he not? Grace is found over three times more in the Old Testament than it actually is in the New. That's quite remarkable. So in the Old Testament, they were under three times more grace, if you want to take that kind of calculation. What is grace then? Well, there you go. Now let's behold that vision. Grace isn't the license to live in sin and not obey Torah. That's not what grace is. Grace is the empowerment to live a holy and righteous life in a sick and twisted world. Something like they showed you in the bar scene in the Star Wars movie that we all ended up in. How do, and where's my lightsaber? It's the Ruach HaKodesh. I tell you, that's what it is. Being able to divide. It's the word of Yahuwah that can cut and divide asunder bone and marrow in every situation with all these aliens and green and blue and pink-haired aliens around me. And they are aliens, foreign to the scripture. Grace is the empowerment to live a holy and righteous life in a sick and twisted Star Wars movie world. Before we came into Torah, we were not under Yahweh's grace, were we? We were under his mercy. And his mercy is what? The withholding of deserved judgment. If we were under his grace, we wouldn't have been oblivious to Torah because grace is what empowers you to live a holy, just, and righteous life. Not a commandmentless life of religious tradition. You see how our vision was malfunctioning. So there's seven things that we really need to be wary of, even when you're listening to me. Most probably especially when you're listening to me. Does your pastor, your vicar, your prophet or your priest teach you to do the Shema? Hear, O Israel, Yahuwah Elohim, Yahuwah is one. Blessed be his name and his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Amen. And you shall keep his commandments when you rise up and when you lie down, when you walk by the way. Guard his word. Number two. Does your prophet, priest, pastor, or barista teach you to have your walk after Yahuwah? Number three, does your prophet, priest, pastor, or barista teach you to fear Yahuwah? Man, it'd be awesome if we went to a coffee shop and we say, yeah, I'll get a double Americano ice with some cinnamon on there. And they're like, teaching you this stuff, right? Number four, this one really does thin the herd. Do they teach and do the commandments, the Torah of Yahuwah? Number five, do they teach and obey his voice, the voice, the same voice from the mountain? Number six, do they teach, serve him? And number seven, my favorite, do they teach, cleave to him? We have to come to grips with the reality that we don't have the right to desecrate in our New Testament faith. We don't have the right to desecrate just because of the resurrection. The resurrection did not come about so that we would have a license to desecrate. That's what modern Christianity is teaching. They don't mean to be teaching it, but there is a malfunctioning of vision because their vision has been programmed by the Council of Nicaea and then by Martin Luther and the Protestants, but they haven't protested enough. Let's let the word testify, not the world testify. I'll finish up with a few scriptures. I love this. John chapter 6, verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen that what Yahushua had done, they said, truly, this is the prophet that should come into the world. Meaning, he passed the prophet test. 
of Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, the prophet test. John chapter 7, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, they said, truly, this is the prophet. What prophet? The prophet that's spoken about who passes the litmus test to teach you to keep the commandments of Yahweh. In John chapter 14, verse 23, it's written, Yahushua answered and said to him, If a man loves me, he will guard my words, and my father, he will love him also. And we will come to him, and we will make our stay with him. I love that. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Are we going to go to Mount Gerizim, or are we going to go to Jerusalem? Where do you choose to go to worship? Well, the modern church has chosen Mount Gerizim, Gerizim excuse me, false worship or Nicolaitan worship, foreign Roman worship. We've got to go back to Jerusalem. Now, I know, and you know, many people use the Apostle Paul as an argument on why we shouldn't be keeping the commandments. But just a cursory read of a few scriptures about Paul, I think, teach the very opposite. Let me give you four things which I think correlate to this week's Torah portion about the Apostle Paul. The first one is in Acts chapter 24, verse 14. And you can turn there if you want. And it's when Paul is standing before Festus at um, Caesar's judgment. And this is what he says. Acts chapter 24, verse 14. I don't know how you can get around this, but people try and wiggle around it. But this I confess to you, that after the way, which they call a heresy, so I worship the Elohim of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the Torah and in the prophets. Now you do realize this is legal testimony before a tribunal, into modern-day parlance, under penalty of perjury. He is attesting, affirming, swearing, if you will, that he believes, in a Hebrew mindset that means walking, halakha, he keeps the written Torah and the written words of the prophets. That's pretty powerful legal testimony. Number two, Acts chapter 28, verse 11. Then Shaul, after the governor had motioned to him to speak, answered, knowing that you have been for many years a teacher to this nation. I gladly defend myself so that you may understand about 12 years ago, I went up to Jerusalem Jerusalem, excuse me, to worship. Did he go to Mount Gerizim? Where did he go to worship? Where does Yahweh put his name? He went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, nor stirring up the people, neither in the synagogues nor the city. Neither can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess, again, this is under penalty of perjury. He's affirming before a governor. This isn't a tribunal, and he goes on to say this. That after the way which they call a heresy, so I worship the Elohim of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the Torah and the prophets. Does that line up with Deuteronomy chapter 13? Yes. So now you've got two witnesses. Let's go for a third. How about Acts chapter 26, verse 19? Now, this again, this is legal testimony. This is before King Agrippa. I'm presenting you legal testimony under penalty of perjury, sworn and affirmed by the Apostle Paul, that he keeps the commandments of Yahweh. And I'm just doing this kind of for kicks and giggles on a Shabbat here, and, you know, we're on YouTube. I haven't really put much thought into this. It's just my life and my vision of how I see the scriptures. But this is legal testimony sworn under penalty of perjury by the Apostle Paul in front of a tribunal 
on keeping the commandments of you. Can you tell me when the churchmen ever gave you legal testimony, not of their doctrines, sworn under penalty of perjury by the Apostle Paul, that you don't keep the commandments of Yahweh, that he's done away with the law, that the Sabbath is abolished and switched to Sunday, that now Jesus died so you could eat pigs, because that's what he came for. He came to clean pigs. And he died so that you could put up a Christmas tree and give presents to your grandma. I mean, I'm being a bit facetious, but you see what I'm saying, right? What was wrong with my thinking? I was seriously malfunctioning, believing the vicar of the Church of England. You guys were seriously malfunctioning too. Especially you. All right. Acts chapter 26, verse 19. How long, how long were you a pastor for? 50 years. Good job. Good job. Got you before the end. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed it first to them in Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout the borders of Judah, and then to the nations, that they should make repentance and turn to Yahuwah and do the commandments fit for repentance. I would like to hear that from a sandwich board blaster downtown. What is the first thing? Not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. No, that's not the first thing, because that's called greasy grace. First thing is, would you just repent? Confess your sins and repent. Then receive salvation, then do works fitting of repentance, which is keeping the commandments, and somewhere in between all of that, go and get seriously mikvahed. Right? Which is an outward sign and a legal testimony before many witnesses of a transformation and change. The fourth thing we find in Acts is in the 21st chapter. Now, what we have here is, of course, that four men and Paul come together, and the Apostle Paul pays five annual salaries. That's a sacrifice, isn't it? Five annual salaries are involved in this sacrifice where they go and take a vow. There were five male lambs, five ewe lambs, and five rams. That's the testimony before a council in Acts chapter 21 that Paul still thinks the commandments of Yahweh are very important. I've just given you four, just off the top of my head, legal testimonies of Paul of why we keep the commandments. Not St. Paul of the Council of Nicaea in a Roman statue, but actually the true Rav Sholiach Shaul. You see, the way I see it, you only have two choices. Number one, Paul teaches against keeping Torah, just like Const Constantinian Christianity teaches. But here, he lies and deceives his Jewish brethren, the Jerusalem High Council, and takes the Nazarite vow Anyway, is that what he's doing? Why would he do that? Well, or the other option is he is teaching Torah observance and he wants to stop the false rumors that he isn't. So he proves it by taking the Nazarite vow before the Jerusalem High Council. I don't see any other options. Let me repeat those two options on the Nazarite vow. I, I think that you've only got two choices. If you think that you've got a third choice, then let's put it up in the chat what the third choice is. Number one, I think the first choice you've got is Paul teaches against keeping Torah, just as Constantine taught, but here he is lying and deceiving his Jewish brethren. He is lying and deceiving the Jerusalem High Council, and he takes the Nazarite vow anyway. That's your first option. Your second option is 
which is what I believe, is he's teaching Torah observance and he wants to stop the false rumors that he isn't. So he proves it by taking the Nazarite vow before the Jerusalem High Council. I mean, I have a hard time believing Paul as a student of Gamaliel would violate the Torah. I just don't, I just can't see how you can reconcile that in light of the scripture. In fact, in 1 Corinthians in the ninth chapter, and they, 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 they were kind of out of a Star Wars movie too, those Corinthians. I mean, they were pretty crazy. I think we're kind of back in those days, right? Temple prostitutes and men dressing as goodness knows what, wearing veils and I don't know if they had the pink and green hair, but they would, have, they would have loved it. I'm sure they would have loved it. I do not abuse my authority in the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 18. For though I am free from all men, yet I have made myself a servant to all, so that I might gain more beings. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them under the Torah as under the Torah, that I might gain them that are under the Torah. To them that are without Torah as without Torah, being not without Torah before Yahuwah, but guarded by the Torah for the Messiah, that I might gain them that are without Torah. Yes, he was all things to all people, but he didn't compromise what? Torah. He was able to reach across the aisles. He was able to communicate across the aisles. And I believe that we should be able to do that too. And I'm getting a lot better nowadays than I was a decade ago at reaching across the aisles. But that does not mean that I will compromise on the truth of the gospel and the truth that we should be keeping the commandments of Yahweh. Deuteronomy, this Torah portion, is all about a vision. And I think in this day and age, man, we have got to have a strong vision of the Bible. We have got to have a strong vision of family. We have got to have a strong vision on how we order and structure our lives in righteousness, in holiness, in sanctification, because we are living on the set of a crazy Star Wars movie every time you step out the front door and you can't escape it. I don't care if you live in Texas, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, you can't, it is, they are far, it's like the white man on the Western migration and the Native Americans are like, yep, I don't think we're going to be able to stop it. So what do you do? You've got to keep your vision. And that vision is sold to us right through the scripture. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, remember, if you've got a question for me, put it up in the chat, redline me in the chat. We only have, what, 30 days before Sukkot. We did just put a, a, a video up today on YouTube with the registration and everything. Um, please come. Great time. We've got a children's program. We've got worship, teaching, camping, cabins, RVs, fishing, the whole gamut. It should be great. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope that you can make it too. Um, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you're still um, with me. Are you still with me here in the chat? Let me refresh the chat here. Live chat. Did anyone come up with a third option? I don't see any third option on the Apostle Paul. Ah, Diesel Grandpa. Shabbat Shalom up there in Snohomish, if you're still in Snohomish, or did you move to Tennessee? He says, as my spiritual eyes weaken, my spiritual, as my physical eyes weaken, my spiritual eyes are getting sharper. Can't wait to be together again. Blessings and blessings, brother. Well, blessings to you and your family. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Yup, we're here. Kevin Niebling, Shabbat Shalom. Mickey, great word. Matthew, thank you so much. Thanks for the great study. Um, Baruch Hashem, hey, Shabbat Shalom, Aaron, Aaron Sermak. I hope that you are, are going to register for uh, Sukkot, my friend. Ah, Daryl Palmer, Shabbat Shalom, good word, thank you, thank you. So great to still see that you're tuning in, Daryl. 
Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, Brad says, I just found out that most here start Sabbath at dawn. Does Torah to the tribe have a dedicated teaching on this or one that covers this? I'm sure that we do, and or um, variations of different people's perspectives on when a day starts. And in fact, maybe Shabbat at Torah to the tribes can put up a link right now in the chat to help you on that brad so that you can at least study that out and see where you come out on the board um with that um baruch hashem yahuwah all right emily tuller it's our first time listening live from iowa so we appreciate your teachings on malki zedek and your keys to understand paul's writings wish we could travel there for sukkot well thank you i definitely rec recommend the galatians series uh, a great one to share with your friends and brethren is the Romans series and um, Hebrews. They're a great place to start. Um, then I've done a bunch of teachings back in the day on the difference between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. But I think the Galatians one is, um, you know, maybe I'm a bit salty and a little bit you know, combative at times. But, um, you know, forgive me for that. I'm certainly, you know, sometimes I look back on these videos and I cringe. I go, oh, my goodness. But, you know, I guess that's life, right? That's just, is that getting older and grayer or what? I just, I, I sometimes look back and I'm like, oh, I can't believe. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. But we still keep them up there because some of you can, can see past my flaws and my human failings. So, Drew, Shabbat Shalom, Drew. Father, I thank you for my extended family. I pray you continue your perfection in each of us. Thank you, Father, for the excellent teaching so that we may draw closer to you. I pray for you to refine. Well, thank you. That's a great prayer. Thank you, Drew. Um, older and wiser, Mickey. Yes, it's, well, that's, that's the hope, right? That's, ah, Shabbat Fellowship. When does the day begin? And they put a link in there. And uh, yeah. Robin. Yeah, I don't think you'll find us on the 119 Ministry Fellowship Finder. I don't think they want you to find us. <laughs> uh, that's for sure, okay? <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they can have a little bit of... Uh, reconciliation and realize we love the Torah, we love the Sabbath, we love the feasts and festivals, and most of all, we love Yahushua and our Father in heaven. We just have a different idea on how the Levitical and Malkitzetic priesthoods um, should be lived and applied today, you know, but that's okay. Tennessee Rambler, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Malkitzedek. That's exactly it. Malkitzedek is the crux of the matter, and that is what we see in the New Testament teachings, I believe. So, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. And I'll finish up with our good friend, the Emissary of Elohim. And um, maybe the Emissary of Elohim will put up a scripture or a verse for us, and we'll close on that. So it's all on you, Emissary of Elohim. I'm waiting. Pressure's on. I don't see anything. Still waiting. Type, 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 type. Remember, you can go down here underneath. I think that's underneath, isn't it? And you can co connect, and you can register for the Feast of Tabernacles. Now or never, if you want a cabin and you want an RV spot, otherwise you're going to be stuck in a tent having to put up with the likes of me and my children. Because I think we're going for tents this year. Huh? I, I like a bit of tenting. My wife doesn't think I'll last more than a night. That's because she makes such a cozy cabin that it'll, it'll be hard to keep away from that, especially if she's cooking, that's for sure. Anyway, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, I'll leave you there. Gray hair is, oh, here's a good one to finish on. Gray hair is a glorious crown. It is found in the way of righteousness. There you go. I think there is a scripture that says something about the gray hair is a glorious crown. Yes, that's in the Catholic Bible, isn't it? 
after shadow says in Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy Elohim. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee, thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Thank you all for being so patient. Yahweh's blessings and Yahweh's peace upon you. I hope to see so many of you here in just a few weeks. Greet one another in the chat, and now you can go down into the comment section and edify one another. And I will look forward to seeing you in the next coming weeks as we prepare for the full feasts of Yahweh. Shabbat Shalom.